This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Good afternoon to everyone. It's a great joy to be with all of us here this morning. I mean, or afternoon. It's 11.55. Well, you could well be having like a late breakfast right now, but you chose to be here and um, I thank God for you being here this morning. Now, it was um, around 2009 after Christmas where my wife and I arrived in Perth all ready to serve and work with international students and migrants in the Aussie church. Uh, we were at the same time getting ready for our twins to be born. So you can imagine uh, it was quite a huge flight that we had to bring two persons but actually carry four luggages uh, along. And we were so grateful when our Aussie friend in Perth offered and managed to secure a nice and cheap home for us to stay. In fact, it was in a great location. It was just next to our church. It was just across the university. And it was a few steps away from the largest cemetery in Western Australia. Well, I have to say it was a, it was a beautiful cemetery. Get to enjoy it. I've driven past the cemetery countless times a week, if not a day. I've walked through the cemetery on various occasions to shorten my traveling distance between my place and the places I want to go. Now, there are plenty of crosses when I visit the cemetery to admire. When I walk past the tombs, there are fancy crosses. There are plain crosses. There are crosses for shed tombs. There were crosses for children. There were crosses on beautiful old graves. There were crosses over unmarked soil. You know, as I walk through the cemetery, it feels unreal, or should I say surreal, for time seems to pause when you walk among the graves. As I walk past these graves, every space seems to tell a personal story, but they've all ended up there. I'm not sure about you, but if you were to pause and walk on cemeteries and graves, at times the tomb seems to whisper to you, or at least to me, that at some point all the living, including myself, we would have to pause our stories the same way as the men and women of great or unknown that are lying there right now, and we will find a place amongst the dead. Now, if you happen to be walking with me in an early cool uh, spring, enjoying the uh, fresh air, you would agree with me as we look at the crosses, how crosses have become symbols of death. But if you were to walk with me closer to some of these tombs and look at the engravings, you might also realize that for some who are laying there, the cross is a symbol of hope. Now, dear friends, this morning I'm very thankful that you're here with us to take a journey back to the very first Good Friday, which reveals what crosses really symbolizes. We will come face to face with the story of three men hung on three crosses, facing three deaths. If you are a Christian, you already find these three crosses pretty familiar on a Good Friday. If you're not a Christian, it might still be something you've seen and you've wondered what it's really about. Well, on that first Good Friday, history tells us three men were hung on three Roman crosses and they were facing three different deaths. Slow, shameful, painful deaths. One man would die without hope. One man 
would die with hope, one man would die to give hope. You know, this story of these three crosses is more than just true historically. This is a story that is relevantly true for you and me. Because one day, one day you and I, we will have to pause our story and we would have to stand there. The question is, will we go on from there without hope or will we move forward in security and assurance? Now, this morning, I would like to invite us, invite us to take a step back in time to the historical First Good Friday. Uh, if you are with me, or you, you are familiar with Jerusalem, or its around area, uh, you will find yourself in this strange place called Golgotha, or as Luke would say, the place called the Skull. The Bible writes in Luke twenty-three forty-four, just one verse after what we have read today, that uh, it was around noon, but the sky was dark because darkness came over the whole land. If you and I were standing at the sky looking at these three men getting ready to be hung, you'd feel the cool breeze because the sun had refused to shine and to give any warmth for anyone who dares to stand there and just witness this whole event. Actually, just a few hours before that, these three men, they were beaten up, they were forced to carry their wooden planks to go through the streets of Jerusalem to this uh, place called the Skull. Now, as they walked through the streets, the streets were busy, it was a festive season. Women were crying, children were hiding. And one of these three men was so badly beaten that he could not carry his cross by himself. And the man on the street who happened to lean too close was being dragged out to carry on his behalf. The man is called Simon. He was from Cyrene. Now Simon probably came from the countryside to the city of Jerusalem to worship God on a special occasion. But instead of heading towards the temple, he was asked to carry this shameful cross and drag out of the city where Jesus and the other two men would be crucified. Now for some of us who may not be familiar, the cross is actually a capital punishment that the Romans uh, implemented and it's never for Roman citizens because it was too shameful and degrading. Only the worst criminals, rebels, those that they consider are not worthy to be humans, gets to hang on the cross. But something strange happened that day. You have imagined when people carry crosses, the crowds will be spitting at them, but as these three men were growing, the women were crying for one of the men. They were crying because that man was an innocent man. That man was Jesus. But it was not just the women, because the Roman prefect, Pilate himself, who gave the order for him to be crucified, he also thinks that Jesus was innocent. He tried many times to let him off, but he couldn't, and the crowd was getting angry, and he was afraid. So before he made the declaration, he took this big bowl, and he washed his hands, and he says, his blood is not on me, it's on you. You ask for it. So he washed his hands, and the people brought Jesus to be crucified. Now as we stood back on the land or the hill where Skull is, we look up at this tree man getting ready to be hung. They were bleeding, they will soon be stripped naked. We're told that this two, there were two men. They didn't have names, they didn't give any names to them. They were criminals, rebels against the Roman Empire. The one was placed on the right of Jesus, the other on his left, as if Jesus was the worst among them. But it was also confusing because before uh, Pilate sent him off, he put this placard on him, he says, King of the Jews. 
You guys want your king to be cute. Now as the soldiers begin nailing the two criminals on Je- besides Jesus, you and I, we can only imagine the cry of agony. Now, overwhelmed by pain and shame and the tragic way their lives would end. Didn't they have freedom? Didn't they have freedom to use their life the whatever way they want? Didn't they have freedom before this moment to do what they want in life? But now, now they have no freedom when death comes knocking. They had freedom to live, but now they have no freedom to escape their death. Now, as they are being lifted up on their cross, crying out in agony and pain, it became clear to everyone, even you and me, if we were there, that they had freedom to live their own ways, but they have now no freedom to get off from death. Now, friends, there is a reality here, even for us, for everyone who lives, because in some sense, we may choose the way we live. We get to choose this morning whether we'll wake up and come here, or we'll just stay in bed and just sleep. We, we get to choose in freedom our way of life. But none of us will get to choose the time when we die. When death comes knocking, it's always one day too early for us. As they nail on them and hang them up, the, the soldiers soon turn to Jesus. Jesus was just like another criminal as they began to mock him, they even had time to gamble and cast laws to see who gets the last piece of clothing that Jesus gets to wear. And obviously one of them won. And Jesus was beginning to be nailed and hang up. But as they nailed Jesus, Jesus muttered out some words. These words that soldiers have never ever heard from criminals that they nailed. Jesus said this in Luke twenty three thirty four, Father, Forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Surely they knew what they were doing, but they have no idea to what extent they are doing it. Now, as the soldiers mocked Jesus and hammered the nails into his hands and his feet, it was a cry of forgiveness that came out from Jesus' lips. Because unlike the other men, Jesus had never used his freedom to do things whatever he likes. Jesus has always used his freedom to offer good news of God to people, to offer forgiveness to all who wants to turn back to God. Jesus uses freedom to love, to serve, to give, to care, to offer, to offer light to those in darkness, to offer forgiveness to those who have been rejected by other men. And now Jesus, in his freedom, gave up his own life to be up on the cross so that he could die on our behalf. Dear friends, the truth is this, that it was never a tragedy. It was never an accident that Jesus would die because he chose his path. He chose to die. Jesus has said it many times that he would die. In fact, the Bible in the Old Testament says 700 years before Jesus was born that God's way to save man is for a perfect man to die on our behalf. This is what the Bible says 700 years before Jesus' time in Isaiah 53. Let me just read this for us. The Bible wrote, Surely he, he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we consider him punished by God, stricken by him, afflicted. 
but he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our sins, our iniquities. You know, the punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we get healed. Because we all, we all are like sheep that have gone astray, we have turned to our own ways, but God, the Lord God, had laid on him the iniquities of us all. No friends, no rebels want to pay the price of their rebellion. No one want to pay the price for their evil thoughts, their self-centered lives that they ever lived, for the misuse of freedom to turn away and to turn against God. No one wants to pay for that price. Not the two men next to Jesus. Not us. No. The hurts we inflict on others, the terrible words that we have said, actions or thoughts that we have accumulated all through our lives, the ignoring of God so often in our lives. No one wants to pay the price of wrong. If it's going to be $5, I'll pay for it. But if the price is shame, identity, my very life, my very soul... I don't want to pay for it. Neither would you want to. No one would willingly pay for the price of the sin they enjoyed. Only Jesus. Jesus willingly climbed up the cross to bear the shame so that we can be forgiven, so that God is able to forgive us. You know, as the soldiers nailed Jesus on the cross, the words that came out from his lips is, Father, forgive them. Now, dear friends, I want to invite us to think a little bit about Jesus and his cross, just for a moment. Now, at the cross, Jesus, he never pitied himself, but he showed compassion. Remember when he was walking down the streets of Jerusalem, the women were crying and weeping because they saw the horror on him. But did Jesus pity himself? No, he didn't. He looked at them and he had compassion. He grieved for them. This is what Jesus said in Luke twenty-three, twenty-eight. He said this, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Indeed, mere decades later, there was such a horrendous event in Jerusalem that no one ever forget when humans try to be gods over each other. Josephus, a historian in the first century, it's not a Christian, a Roman Jewish historian. He wrote this in his records, War of the Jews. He recorded a terrible instance during the Roman siege of Jerusalem by Empress Titus in AD 70. He wrote there was this incident during the siege where guards inside the city were tormenting and harassing people, harassing a particular woman relentlessly. They will come and harass her day and night. One day when they were approaching her house, they smelled food and they came bashing in and threatened her show me the food or I'll kill you straight away that woman who has been harassed look at them with a haunting look and she said this indeed I had food I had rose today I ate half and I've specially left the other half for you after she said that she uncovered what was left of her son Do not weep for me, weep for yourselves. When humans reject God and try to live as our own gods, when we use our freedom to turn away from God and against God, our sins will eventually catch up 
on us. May not be the same way as what happened in Jerusalem, but it always catches up on us. But here as the soldiers mocked and nailed Jesus, whom the Bible called the Son of God, the words that came out from his lips was, Father, forgive them. At the cross, Jesus did not pity himself. He showed compassion. At the cross, Jesus did not sin, but he paid for our sins. The Bible said he was pierced for our sins, and by his wounds we are healed. Now, as Jesus was hung on the cross, verse 34 to this passage described how the people stood, stood there watching and the rulers sneered at him saying, He saved others. <laughs> Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the Chosen One. Verse 36, the soldiers also came out and mocked him. They offered him wine, vinegar. If you're a king, you save yourself. Now, even those rulers who wanted Jesus dead, in a very ironic way, they have just declared what he has always been doing with his hands because the hands of Jesus touched lepers to heal them. The hands of Jesus touched the blind to heal them. The hands of Jesus broke bread to feed the hungry. The hands of Jesus touched those who are spiritually bonded so that they can be set free. The hands of Jesus offered comfort to those who are grieving. The hands of Jesus that comes to them and says, your sins are forgiven. Jesus came and offered forgiveness and they hated him. The reason is this. For you to forgive, you are also declaring that you need forgiveness, that you have gone against God. Surely they say that it was because he claimed to be the Son of God, but truly it's because he claimed that they need forgiveness. As they stood at the scar looking at the cross where Jesus could no longer move his hands, they said he saved others. Let him save himself. The Bible tells us from long ago, if Jesus wants to save others, he will have to give up himself. And for Jesus to offer forgiveness of sins to us, he has to pay the price of sin for us. Now at the cross, Jesus, the innocent Son of God, came to pay for our sins. Or to put it another way, Jesus at the cross, he took on the shame so that you and I, we don't have to be ashamed. He took on the guilt so that you and I would no longer be guilty. Now at the cross, the judgment of God, the love of God meets together. Because there's no sin that can be hidden on the cross. But there's no sin that cannot be forgiven at the cross. At the cross, Jesus fulfilled what he came here to do, to be the saviour of our world. Now dear friends, there are three crosses on that first Good Friday. Three crosses, three men. One would die without hope. Jesus would die to give hope. And because of that, one could die in, because of sin but still have hope. Not as you and I, if we are still at the cross or at the skull, leaning in to listen to the last words of these three men, this is what you and I will hear. Verse 39 says, One of the criminals who hung there hurled insult at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? He said, since you are under the same sentence. 
we are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. You know, as the two rebels, one on the right, one on the left of Jesus, they gave their last words. Their last words revealed what they think about their whole life. With his last breath, one man pours out what was in his heart, a denial for the wrongs in his life, a rejection of the punishment he received, and a blatant disbelief in God. Because his last words were, If you are the Messiah, the Son, the Anointed One, well, you save yourself on the way, please come and save us as well. But dear friends, there's something scary. There's something scary about sin. Because when we are trapped in sin, we may actually enjoy sinning. We may actually enjoy doing it in our self-righteousness. We may not need to feel that we need to acknowledge we are wrong. No, when we hurt someone, a colleague, a stranger, with words or gossips, actions, attitude, we, our first temptation is to justify that they deserve it and I'm right. But when we are hurt, the first thing we think about is somebody has hurt me and it's their fault. You know, it's a horrible picture on the cross of a man drenched with sin but mocking God. You now, someone once said there are two kinds of dangerous drivers, only two kinds on the road. One of the speed demons who always speed too fast and overtakes you and makes life dangerous on the road. Or the second who are the turtles who drive too slow and you have to take, take, uh, overtake them and they make the, the road dangerous. On the road, it's everyone's fault but, but ours. Because that's the reality of our lives. You know, when we do well, it's because we deserve it. We've worked hard for it. But when things go wrong, it's either someone else's fault. And if we can't find a person to blame, guess who do we blame? Blame it on God. The second man rebuked his friend. That's why he says, Don't you fear God since you're under the same sentence. We are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. Now I remember when I was in secondary two. I had two good friends. One is an atheist, the other is of a different faith. Uh, we were talking about Christianity. I can't remember the conversation, but when I left the conversation, my mind was raging with the thoughts about God, about heaven, about hell. I can't remember why it was all the conversation, but as I came off, I, I remember thinking, surely if I can't accept that a bicycle or a watch came by itself without an inventor, how could I see this beautiful world and think that it was by accident? I couldn't accept the fact that the world was without a God and I said, there must be a God. But then I have a problem. Because the moment I say there is a God, I say, then I can't get into heaven by good works the way my friends argue that good works bring you there. Because I know, even at that age, that if there's a wrong that I want to do, but I don't do it, there are only two big reasons. One is, I don't think it's worth it. The other is, I don't have the guts. No, if there's something I want to cheat because the exam is difficult, either I think it's not worth it because of reputation or I have no guts, I'm afraid that I'll be caught. No, as I think about my own life, even at a point that I have such a, a wretched heart that is never right in my motives all the time, 
How could I think that just because I do a few good things, people pat me on the back, good job Andrew, and then I think I will get into heaven. What a wretched heart I had and still have. How is your heart, my friends? How's heart? How's your heart doing? How are you when you think about your own motives day in, day out? No, the day will come. You won't judge me, I won't judge you. But a day will come where we'll all have to get what our deeds deserve, nevertheless. Everything that our hearts and our minds have, every word and action that we have will be brought to light in verdict. No, if there is really no God, then our life really doesn't matter. Whether you hurt me intentionally right after this, or I hurt you intentionally, it really doesn't matter because you and I, we are just molecules. doesn't matter if you get hurt or I get hurt, if there is no God. But if there is a God, then we have a problem. Because if there is a God, then all the things that we have done will have to be judged. The verdict must be given because no wrongs in this world can ever get away even if it gets away with the law. Verse 40, the second man rebuked the first saying, Don't you fear God, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. No, dear friends, I wonder what will your and my last words be? Will there be denial of sin, defending of our life, disbelief of God? Will we confess of what we have been in our lives? What will be the verdict if you and I, we just give an honest answer to ourselves, not to others, but to ourselves, of our every toy, word and deed before a judge who sees and actually knows everything? You know, one rebel on that day lived his freedom when he reaches his end, refused to acknowledge what he deserves. And tragically, he had no thoughts of God, no thoughts of guilt, no repentance, and see no need for repentance and forgiveness. And he got silence. Even as he mocked Jesus, the most frightening silence was heard. Jesus said nothing. But the other rebel who lived out his freedom realized his sin against people and God and deserved punishment. As he was hung on the cross and he looked out. And Jesus he didn't ask Jesus, take me down. But he looked out and he recognized who he was, a sinner in heart. A sinner who deserved to be punished. But then most amazingly, as he looked at Jesus, he acknowledged that Jesus was a sinless man. And more than that, he's a king. And so he said this in verse 41. He said, we are punished justly for what we are getting, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus... Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now how does this man know that he's a sinner and Jesus is a king? Well, perhaps he was there when Jesus was preaching for years, but he didn't turn. Or perhaps he saw Jesus having compassion to the woman instead of the woman crying for him. Perhaps he saw Jesus' lips praying out to God as the nails were pierced and the mockery was flooding towards him. Perhaps. But what we do know is this, he finally knew in his own heart that he was a sinner who should be condemned, but Jesus should not. He knew that Jesus shouldn't be on the cross, but he should. He knew that he was not right with God, but he was. And so he turned to Jesus, the one who was willing to die for his people, and says, Jesus, remember me. He didn't ask to be down the cross. He asked for a relationship with the king. Who loves enough 
What will be our last words, friends, as we think about ourselves? This man, in his last words, he acknowledged his sin and repented of them. He believed in Jesus as the king. He cried out to Jesus for a relationship with him. And Jesus turned to him and responded with the most amazing words that you can ever hear in history. He says, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Dear friends, what will be the last words for me, perhaps for you to think about? One says, God's anointed, well, save yourself. The other says, Jesus remembers me. Now friends, as you have kindly journeyed with me to the sky and now we are back here to our daily lives and we'll get on with things after this hour. Perhaps it's a good time on a good Friday to consider how we want our story to pause when the time comes. You know, the presence of crosses and crucifix that goes around, sometimes our neck, sometimes all over. Sometimes it just desensitizes us what the cross really means. You know what? The, the cross at Karakata Cemetery desensitized me after so many times of passing by, driving past, until one day I didn't drive past Karakata Cemetery. I drive into it. It was a day when a good friend of mine, a mentor, would die and be remembered. Now Ken, he was a friend of mine, a mentor, a gift. My family loves him. Uh, God provided him to us for a short time, but actually not just to me, but to many, to many. In his last days in the hospitals, the nurses, they were very perplexed how this old dying single bachelor had the strangest people visiting him. He had very prominent and powerful men coming in suits. He had homeless men coming in boxes. He has local Aussies. He has the international students. Why? Because Ken was a man who never stops telling people about Jesus. You know, a friend wrote that soon after his death, telling what happened when he was hospital, that even when Ken was there in the hospital bed, when he was, he was too tired or painful to, to read his prayer letters, he asked that they be read to him so that he could keep praying because he had believed in the one who saved him, and he prays that more will continue and will come to know him. You know, his last thoughts, Ken's last thoughts, were on Jesus who came to die so that he can have life and we can have life. You now, dear friends, as we close up this time, which is Good Friday, can I boldly invite us to consider how we will review our hearts in our last words? It wouldn't be today, but what will you say to yourself and to others? The three historical cross, they are not only true, but they are relevant because all of us will have to pause our life when the time comes. As you think about crosses, some people will think that my sins are way too heavy. I've done too many terrible things. But a cross tells you that the most shameful thing you have done the most disgusting thing you have done against people and against God, God is willing to forgive, says the rebel next to Jesus. There is no sin that is too great that the cross of Jesus cannot bear. But the second man that hangs next to Jesus gives us a warning. There is no one 
whoever thinks they can get away with judgment will really be able to get away without the cross of Jesus. No, we'll hear more about Jesus and His resurrection and the joy we can have in Him in a few days' time on Sunday. But my prayer today is we have already given our chance this morning instead of slipping in and having a, a late breakfast that we'll come in to think about Good Friday. I pray that we'll give ourselves a chance to reflect on our lives, to reflect on where we are heading, to reflect on what we will say, to summarize the life that we live. And I pray that we will come to know Jesus more if you do not know. And if you know Jesus already, do know Him even more to acknowledge our sins, to believe in Him and to cry out to Him that He will remember us. Because if we do, the words of Jesus to that criminal will be also for us. That Jesus will say, truly, you too, you too will be with me in paradise. I'd like to pray for us. Would you let me do that for us? Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for Good Friday. Father, we thank you that Jesus comes to offer forgiveness. But it is very confronting because when he says that he offers forgiveness, he also revealed that we need it. So Father, we pray for all of us here, who are here today, for those who are Christians. We pray, God, that you will help us to keep confessing that we have sinned against you and we believe that Jesus can save us and cry out to Jesus that he will remember us. For those of us who perhaps are not Christians or just hearing the gospel for the first time, we pray, God, that your Holy Spirit will just help us to be able to contemplate on our lives and the beauty that you have blessed us with in the breath of life and that we will consider carefully what we will summarize our lives to be. Pray all this for your glory and we thank you for breath of life. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.